This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast. Hello and welcome to the Girl Fit Method podcast. I'm your host, Natasha Wakefield, and I am here to help you take charge of your health, get empowered, and ultimately become the best version of yourself. Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the Girl Fit Method podcast. So on today's podcast episode, I have Steph from Mind Food Steph back for round two. Welcome, Steph. Thanks for having me, Tash. I absolutely loved being on last episode and there was so much positive feedback. So I can't wait to take another deep dive into today's episode. Yes, I I loved having you on. I got incredible feedback as well. And I think like from a trainer's perspective, um, you know, we obviously work on a lot of mindset stuff with our girls, but ultimately that's not really our area of expertise. So having you there to be able to just pick your brains um, and the combination between the two, you know, for me, I guess like I can really look at the physical side of things, but you are able to then look at more so mindset, deeper things that are going to really be able to get someone to actually achieve their fitness goals. You kind of need a bit of both. So I sort of think we're a little bit of a dream team, to be honest. Yes, I agree. And I think it's challenging when it comes to your body, your weight, losing weight, all of that. There are deeply rooted psychological barriers or triggers or maintaining factors in the difficulty with your weight. And I think with PT, you can give all the strategies and the tools, but there does come a point where more so than mindset, even like psychological health plays such a key role. And I think it's great we can both tap into each other's education and experience in that. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of like, you know, we have people that are on one end of the spectrum. So in particular, people that have you know, a diagnosed eating disorder that probably really need to be working first with a psychologist and getting help to overcome that before stepping back into the gym or stepping back into dieting. But then there are all of these other people that have really um, improved along the way and not really in the depths of an eating disorder at all. But it's kind of like, okay, I've overcome that. Now, how do I practically look after myself? How do I start exercising, but making sure that it's balanced? Mm and that I'm not falling back into old habits. And that's kind of that tricky part, right? And you need to make sure that people that you work with, so your you know, psychologist as well as your trainer or coach has that real understanding, compassion, empathy to ensure that the, the plan they're putting together is going to make you flourish and not set you back. So I think having those two things is really important for long-term success for people. But We've kind of decided that we, or I'm going to get you on regularly (laughs) to chat on the podcast. And what we want from the listeners is to either, if you're watching on YouTube, comment down below subjects that you want us to cover. Alternatively, Mm. you can send me a DM. You can send Steph a DM as well. Um, We'll make sure that all of our socials are linked in the podcast show notes. But let us know, what what do you want us to talk about? You know, you've got me, fitness, nutrition. Then you've got Steph, who is all things mindset, mental health, an absolute wealth of knowledge. So um, please let us know and we'll get recording. 
Exciting. Very exciting. (laughs) Today, I am very excited about this subject. So we're talking all things ADHD. We're talking uh, the correlation between that and eating disorders. But really where I want to start is let's talk about what ADHD is. Society at the moment, it's kind of just been this new, not a buzzword, but it's talked Mm. about a lot. Um, And people might not quite understand what it is. So I'm going to hand that over to you. Thank you. And you're absolutely right. It is trending. It's all over TikTok. And the reason is people are becoming more aware of what ADHD looks like, especially in women. And what it is, is it's attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And essentially it is a neurodevelopmental disorder, which means you are born with it. There are risk factors which can make you susceptible to being born with it, but it happens in the brain. It's not say anxiety or depression that can be treated, that comes and goes. It's always there, but it can definitely be managed and work to your advantage if you do know about it. But if you don't know about it, it can look like anxiety, it can look like depressive episodes, it can look like autism. And yes, there is a high correlation between ADHD and different disorders, but essentially it is a brain-based condition. Your wiring is a little bit different in your brain. The neurotransmitters in your brain, such as dopamine and norepinephrine, just work differently to people who are neurotypical. Now, when we say neurotypical, neurodivergent, it just refers to development and typically how a brain is, I guess, stand, standardized to be and how a brain may differ. And the difference in the neurotransmitters just means there are differences in how a person with ADHD regulates their attention, modulation of their mood, dealing with their emotions effectively and having the motivation to get started on tasks. So what we see in people with ADHD is difficulty focusing attention on more than one thing at a time, or they might have this hyperfixation where they focus on one thing for a long period of time. They also may struggle with organization, planning. It comes down to executive functioning. So executive functioning is the front of your brain, the CEO of your brain, And that wiring is just a little bit different in people who do have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So what I want to touch on now is the difference between, I guess, like symptoms for women and then symptoms for boys, because, and there is a lot more awareness out there now about ADHD, but for a very long time. And I was diagnosed with ADD, so it's just mm. attention deficit disorder. Now, that's not even a thing anymore. Now it's only ADHD. Am I correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And the ADD is the inattentive presentation because there's three different presentations, hyperactive and impulsive, which is the boys in the you know playground being disruptive and that typical picture of ADHD. Then the inattentive subtype, which is what we see now more, especially with women, and the combined subtype, which is both. Okay. Can I just talk about the hyperactive side of things as well? Because so my younger two brothers also have ADHD and they were like that. So they were your typical Mm. young boys at school that got kicked out of class all the time. We moved schools a lot, but they just, they genuinely could not sit still and they really struggled with that. What I've thought about, and I'm not sure if this is actually um, the hyperactivity, but I feel like for me, I don't necessarily have that physical hyperactivity, but I feel like mentally. Mental. Uh, Yes. 
Yes. And I think that's more common in women. Um, I sometimes think if people actually looked inside my brain, they'd be like, what on earth? (laughs) It's a Mm -hmm. mess. Um, Can you touch on that? Is that a thing? Yes, you're absolutely right. With women, what we see a lot more of is the mental hyperactivity and impulsivity, which is kind of blurting out or interrupting conversations, not waiting till people finish their sentences. Um, They feel easily overloaded from too much conversation. They need time to recover. They may struggle to stay attentive during phone calls. Like you're on the phone to someone, but you're secretly scrolling on Instagram and your friend's like, are you there? Are you paying attention? Can you hear me? Uh, They have difficulty with small talk. They may have a messy car, difficulty keeping yourself organized. uh, And that rapid sort of movement of thoughts in your brain, like having so many thoughts that feel overwhelming and not knowing which one to sort of pick or do or stay. And this sort of leads to trouble finishing tasks or fulfilling something completely, such as, you know, uni degrees, projects. They get really passionate about starting and then not finishing. But you're absolutely right. With the women, we see more of the mental chatter in the hyperactivity rather than physically being hyperactivity. And what we do see a little bit as well is impulsivity. And impulsivity could be in behaviors in uh, drinking, eating, smoking, hasty comments, and this inner sense of restlessness. So the hyperarousal is more about having trouble putting on the brakes rather than outwardly behaving, Mm. uh, you know, like an inattentive child. Yeah. As you're talking, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) And I think what's really hard is that that can then really kill your confidence. I, yeah, I can really relate. So in school, I um, was undiagnosed with ADHD until I hit about 14. Mm -hmm. And up and through school, up until that point, I was in classes for, um, because I was struggling. So I was, I needed tutoring for English, for maths, and I just struggled with school. And I felt stupid. I thought I was dumb. Like, I really thought I was dumb. Um, I got the diagnosis. I got on medication. And I remember the, the, the first time I went into school on medication, I, for the first time in my life, I felt like I could hear. Mm. It was like, oh, my goodness. Like, I can hear what this teacher's saying. And I, it, there was so much chatter in my brain constantly that I just could never, uh, I mean, I could physically hear, but I actually couldn't really yes. absorb anything. And from that point on, I was like, my grades in group improved significantly up until, you know, really like a grade student. It was day and night, the difference. And I think if you go for years on year out, not having a diagnosis, as a woman, and I guess like, you know, the same with guys as well, but you just grow up believing you're stupid, you're dumb, you can't control yourself, you are impulsive, you make silly decisions. And I think a lot of the time as well, because of that, we feel that we don't fit in as well. Yes, for sure. And you're so right. In the classroom, the women tend to sort of sit back, hope they don't get asked the question because They think, yeah, they're not intelligent and they're told this. Their school reports will say Natasha has the potential, but if she applies herself, if she engages. She distracts others. She distracts others. That's it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And you're absolutely right is 
women have learned to sort of accept this invalidation and accept that, okay, it's me. I don't apply myself. I don't concentrate enough. And this does significantly damage their self-esteem if left unmanaged and they engage in a coping mechanism called hiding. And this is one of the top coping mechanisms. Rather than seeking support, women are seen to hide because they dread this facade coming to the surface. And there's a lot of shame that keeps this internalization going because what society does is it sort of portrays that women should be able to do all the things that a neurotypical woman can do. They should be able to cook. They should be able to clean. They should be able to organize. They should be able to plan. But when women hide their real struggles, it does come at a high emotional cost, self-esteem, like you said, being one of them. Mm, Yeah. And I think trying to fit that mold when you just physically can't do it is just reinforcement that you're not good enough. And and then it's kind of like, well, what am I ever going to accomplish in life? I've um, having the pledge, like the, the blessing really of being able to run your own business is that you can do things your own way. And I remember getting working with someone who was a bit of a mentor to me quite a while ago when I'd first started my business. And he had suggested for me to uh, spread out my day in a particular way because that worked for him. And I tried that and it flashed me back to school days when mm-hmm. I was trying to implement something that someone was telling me, oh, no, this is the way you need to do something. And automatically I failed. I couldn't do it. And then I felt this shame. And I thought, ah, 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 like I'm an adult now and I realize this is how I work best. This might be what works best for the majority of people, but yeah. for me, it just doesn't. And like a really good example of that is that, um, you know, and I, I'd love you to touch on this as well with ADHD and in the morning tends mm. to be a big struggle for people. And I truly do struggle in the morning. So I'm very much more productive and able to concentrate as the day goes on. But then society tells us, you know, we need to be w- waking up early. We need to be we're most productive first thing in the morning. We start work early. And we're feeling like, oh, gosh, like we are not even in the mindset to be able to work. And then once again, these little things that accumulate into us feeling like we are just pathetic, you know? Yeah, and you are. You're expected to, not that you're pathetic, but you are expected to. (laughs) Geez, Steph. (laughs) You are expected to fit into this neurotypical world, whereas we should be making the world more neurodiverse friendly And I think something to take away from this, if you're listening, is one person's strategy is not a one size fits all. And just because someone's routine works for them, someone's ADHD strategy works for them, it doesn't mean it's going to work for you. So it's about figuring out what is my blueprint, what works for me and accepting and surrendering to that. Like you're not a a morning person, mornings don't work for you. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I really believe success is about being able to to design your own morning, not waking up at 5am. But it's great you found something that does work for you because everyone is so different and there's not a one size fits all when it comes to that. Yeah. And I think like, as you get older, you learn, you learn about yourself and you figure out what works best for you. But in saying that it's, you know, still a struggle. There's so many aspects of my life where ADHD makes things much more difficult. Uh, In particular, like you spoke about feeling overwhelmed, you know, breaking a, a goal or task down that someone could just do, they could just go and do it. You know, for me, 
it that feels sometimes so exhausting because I'm mentally trying to focus so hard on just staying on track and on task that halfway through that task, I am so mentally exhausted. And so then I go, well, how come somebody else can implement this so easily and not think twice about it? And I've got to go, hold on, I'm wired differently. So how can I complete this task? Well, I just may need to put a cap on the time that I'm spending on this and go back yes. to it later. And that's okay. It's- yeah, it's so incredible you say this because, to be honest, Tash, looking from the outside, I see you as this successful businesswoman that's always on TikTok, you're always on Instagram, you've got your clients, you're running a successful business, which, side note, entrepreneurialism and running your own business totally works for people with ADHD and I, I cannot recommend it enough. And there are so many successful entrepreneurial businesswomen and men with ADHD. So running your own business, amazing thing. You look like on the outside you've got it all together. I would never even have suspected <laughs> you to be struggling internally. Oh, look, I think, you know, every everyone struggles in some capacity, right? We're all just trying to work it out as we go. And I think for me I've learned a lot, but I've just learned about myself and that I need to do things differently. In order to achieve certain things, I need to do things slightly differently to the norm. But this is another interesting point with ADHD is that we've got this ability to hyperfocus. So I really put down yeah. a lot of my success to hyperfocus. When I want to achieve something, I will truly outwork absolutely anybody. And sometimes that can be actually detrimental because that'll I'll put my I won't even worry about my health, I won't worry about sleep, I'll won't worry about relationships. No. Yeah. It is just this uh, tunnel vision where I will grind and grind and grind and grind until I get something done. And and really that comes down to whatever I'm passionate about in my life. It sometimes can feel like this all or nothing. So the things that you're passionate about, you excel at like to the extreme. And then mm-hmm. the things that you're not passionate about, you couldn't care less about. But sometimes we need a bit of a balance, right? We yes. can't be going 100 miles an hour with things that we love because we're going to burn out. And then we yeah. do need to do the things that we don't like and we need to learn how to be able to manage that instead of just not doing it at all. Yeah, it's so funny because sometimes I hear about hyperfixation. I'm like, I wish I could get me some of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or people say to me, I don't know how you do it. And I'm like, honestly... It is this, it is a superpower, but, but for me, you know, I've, I've had times in my life where I've definitely burnt out because I've gone yes. too hard. Once again, learning about myself, when I know that I get into that mindset, I'd go, Tash, you know, you need to look after yourself because you, there needs to be longevity here. You can't just go crazy for a month and yes. then be out of action for another month. It just doesn't work that way. So, Okay. So there you go. You guys all know that I struggle. We all struggle in different capacities. That doesn't mean that you can't achieve what you want to achieve. What I would really like to talk about now is some other symptoms, I guess, or ways that ADHD um, shows in women's lives as they Mm. get older. Because Mm. sometimes we can think, touching on what we just spoke about, that these are just personality traits, but in fact, they could be symptoms of ADHD. Yes, and there's a lot going around at the moment with is it a part of your personality? Is it a superpower? Should we even label it ADHD? And I think what really determines whether it is a brain-based neurological condition is the pervasiveness of it. It's not something that comes or goes. If you track back, you can see this happening across the trajectory of your life. And to answer your question, 
knowing that it really is ADHD, there's a lot around distractibility, forgetfulness, zoning out, having difficulty with time. If it's not now, it's kind of never. So I say that people with ADHD have two concepts of time, either now or not now. And trouble sort of sitting with time or waiting is a big one. And you said as women get older, it gets harder. And it's true because what happens is the masking and the coping that women learn to use becomes outweighed by life's demand. So it's until a lot of women actually have children and then their child has ADHD, then they find out they have ADHD because they can't, they struggle to cope with motherhood, with running a business, with working and all of that. The, the coping is outweighed by the stresses. And I think this is why lockdowns revealed so many women as having ADHD was because they couldn't keep busy. They were stuck at home and their struggles really came to the surface. Mm. It's funny you say that. So the way that I figured out I had ADHD was my mum was diagnosed with it first as an adult. So she was in her 40s and she was like, my goodness, I've just, this makes so much sense. So this was quite some time ago, way before it was a thing that people were getting diagnosed as adults. And then she recognized it in us kids. And she was like, I can see uh, that you guys have got it and we'll, (laughs) three out of us, four kids have got it. So (laughs) I know it can be link. Yeah, there's a massive, massive hereditary link. If you have one parent with ADHD, the child has a one in three chance of having it. If both parents have it, a two in three chance of having it. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Do you know? It's very strong. the, The good thing about that is that if the parents are aware, I think there's a lot of power in that to then be able to hopefully help your child deal with it because mm-hmm. like for myself and for my mum she grew up with terrible like low self-esteem because she just thought once again she was stupid she'd make these impulsive dumb decisions why couldn't she follow through on things and she took that upon herself as being someone that just wasn't adequate when mm. in fact when she realized oh this is a symptom of ADHD you can kind of then understand all right well this is not who I am and how can I best um, deal with this to to then grow up to be a really successful human or to achieve whatever it is you're wanting to achieve in your life. I think there's a lot of power in that. And for yeah. me, I look at my ADHD as I love it. I love it because it makes Yay. me different to other people. I mean, there's there's challenges, right? However, to me, I've chosen to look at it as a real positive because I believe that there are so many positives in it. Yes. So, and, and I really want to encourage any girls out there that do feel that way. And if you're, you're thinking, gosh, this is sounding like really, really similar to my life and the things that I do, then definitely going out and seeking, you know, going to see somebody, mm. getting some testing can be incredibly beneficial because if you've got it and you're living with it and you're living with it unknowingly, life's really yes. hard. Yes, and I do want to point on the positive because a lot of negative stuff is in social media and the struggles, but there's actually a lot of positives as well. You just find that people with ADHD, they take risks that people ordinarily wouldn't take who are neurotypical, and they just find themselves in the most bizarre situations. And I love your stories on TikTok because I'm (laughs) like, oh, my gosh, trust you to be in that situation. But people with ADHD, they strike luck that you wouldn't imagine and they find themselves in the most strangest situations. Like out of all the kids who maybe could have got caught with pot in high school, it's always that one person that (laughs) has ADHD who's in that situation. But 
They can somehow get out of it. They can pull miracles out of their butt sometimes. Like they might have a paper due and they haven't started it, but somehow they pass and they they get it done. So you you do have this sort of tenacity and this um, work ethic that when you need it, you can really call upon it and take risks and be successful in ways that a lot of people would never be in their lives. So you're right, the way you look at it and remember focus equals feeling. So if you're focusing on something being a benefit and working for you, then you're going to feel good about it. Whereas if you constantly see ADHD as this bad thing and this negative thing, and yes, it is challenging, but that's what you're going to focus on. I was speaking to a friend today who's another, um, you know, big influencer on social media, and she does a lot of study tips. And she says, what I get comments on is people saying, yeah, but I have ADHD. And it's like, yeah, but it's not a death sentence. You can make it work for you if you choose to. Yeah, I totally agree. It's with any anything in life. Like it's the mm-hmm. way that you look at it. And there are so many positives. And I think the key is just figuring out how you tick. And then really changing your life to suit that. So, for example, for me, a really big, um, an important thing for me is order and structure. And the reason I need order and structure is because my mind feels very unstructured and it can feel at times very cluttered. And so my surroundings are very basic. I don't have lots of things in my house. I keep my house very, very clean. And The reason I do that is because I don't then, if I see clutter around me, that almost adds to the mental load of what's going on in my brain. If I can keep things very simple, it's like less stimulating in a way where Mm. I could just focus on trying to control whatever it is I'm wanting to achieve or the thoughts that are going on in my mind. So you, you kind of figure out little tips and tricks along the way that really help you to be able to deal with whatever it is that you're needing to deal with. I want to touch on depression and anxiety with ADHD as well because, and I know I keep referring to my own experience, but I think I can just go off my own experience. And being uh, in a brain that doesn't ever shut off and thinks and thinks and thinks and thinks and thinks all the time, uh, that's very exhausting (laughs) Um, and can cause a lot of anxiety when you just really can't rest, you're kind of mentally switched on all the time. So I'd love for you to chat about, I guess, I know that there is a higher likelihood of having depression and anxiety if you have ADHD, but I'd love to know actually why. Yeah. So a lot of people get diagnosed with anxiety or depression before they actually get a diagnosis of ADHD because they are common symptoms of it. But if you're sort of treating the anxiety, depression, it doesn't really go away. That can be indicative of a deeper issue such as trauma, ADHD, whatever it might be. The reason is a lot of people with ADHD have grown up in environments that are anxiety provoking. They're constantly told they're not good enough. They're constantly told they need to try harder. They're told they don't listen. They're told they're not sensitive to what they say. They have no filter. They blurt out the answers. They are growing up hyper aware and hyper vigilant on how they impact how other people feel. And for this reason, they can develop what is called rejection sensitivity. They're extremely sensitive around potential rejection or criticism. And this has actually gotten a label the last couple of years, and it's known as rejection sensitive dysphoria, RSD. And whilst this term, it's not a diagnostic criteria for ADHD, it's a common experience. And it is the experience of 
perceiving other people as criticizing you or rejecting you, whether they do or they don't, you think that people are. And it also refers to feeling this emotional pain when you're not living up to your own expectations or the expectations of others. Can I just ask a quick question? So with that, Mm. is it purely because you've been told, you know, growing up that you're not smart enough, you're not trying hard enough, or is it actually if someone does have ADHD, you're just more likely to view life in that way? A little bit of both. So people can develop rejection sensitivity from being told those messages because as a young child, you internalize what you hear, what you witness, what you see, and that becomes your default way of thinking. And then what they've found is people with ADHD also are likely to be in environments like that. So yes, either way, if you've got ADHD, you may have rejection-sensitive dysphoria tendencies, but anyone who's grown up in a potentially traumatic experience or adverse life event may also have this symptom. They're finding the symptom to be common in other disorders as well, borderline, bipolar. So it is bringing more attention to the scenes. But I want to sort of say that maybe tying into the depression or the depressive symptoms, because what goes up must come down. If you spend a lot of your time in anxiety, your adrenaline, your cortisol, it's always on and you've got to crash at some point. And that crash can sometimes look like depression or the low moods. And especially if your brain is thinking all the time and you're overthinking and overanalyzing and you're sensitive to rejection, those thoughts can cause you to feel really down if you think people are criticizing you. And that may be where the depression or depressive symptoms come from. Can I also ask as well with ADHD whether being an empath you're more likely to be an empathetic person and to really feel big feelings as yes. opposed to somebody else? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. They've found it sort of goes two ways. A lot of people who I've spoken to with ADHD, they're either extreme empaths or There's ones who sort of struggle. It's not that they struggle to feel empathy, and this is where we sort of tap into the the narcissism um, bandwagon, but it's more the impulsivity, I guess, sometimes prevents them from putting a filter on, which can come across as not having empathy or can come across as not caring. But I think it's more about being impulsive and being unable to hold back. But, yes, there are people with ADHD are hyper-aware of other people's emotions and their sensations, what they're thinking, and deeply empathize with that and feel what other people are feeling. Because for a lot of people who have ADHD, they have experienced trauma or adverse life experiences where they've had to be careful to tiptoe around or if their parents were drinking, they couldn't say the wrong thing. And they have learned to read other people's emotions to keep safe. And because of that, they're constantly reading other people's emotions to try to keep safe. So They are. They're extremely empathetic and hyper-aware of people's emotions around them. So you would would you say that's a bit of nature and nurture then? Yes. Yeah. It's believed that people have a predisposition or a vulnerability to develop ADHD. I'm not saying everyone who's gone through trauma will have it or everyone who has it has gone through trauma. But, yes, there's a genetic vulnerability, but then they believe that what can activate that gene or make it come to fruition is life experiences. That is so interesting. I think about myself with empathy and I'm a very empathetic person to the point where I feel someone's pain 
so physically I can Mm -hmm. and I I can't help it if there is someone that I care about or you know even I can't watch the news and this is like something for me that I just have to monitor I know I genuinely can't watch the news because it will affect me so much because like I can't stop but feel the pain that that person is feeling and walking around and living a life that way can feel very heavy Mm-hmm. And you can carry a lot of, especially the people in your life that you love, you end up carrying their pain, um, which I then think can become such a heavy burden that yeah. it can lead to things like anxiety, like depression, because it all becomes too much. Life becomes overwhelming. These feelings are so large. It's like how do you get through the day when you just are so overwhelmed with Yeah, usually it's a, those negative feelings. Yes, and you're like carrying this giant backpack of emotions and other people's emotions. And the key is to have a really beneficial self-care system. Now, I refer to self-care as a system because I think it needs to underpin everything you do. Self-care isn't about that massage you get at the end of the week or taking a vacation because that's aftercare, that's after you're burnt out. And, yes, that's all good and important, but your systems really help you so Getting up in the morning and training, if that helps you, or training in the afternoon, exercise regularly is a great self-care system, especially people with ADHD. Exercise helps you focus, helps you sustain attention, helps with anxiety, so many benefits. And not watching the news, that could be part of your self-care system as well. I agree. I don't watch the news either. I think it's very negative and ineffective for, for my well-being. Uh, it could be saying no to people is part of your self-care system reducing your workload, taking time off and eating a certain way, going out, having the chocolate and your self-care system may change depending on what you're going through and your mood. So I think if you are someone who is deeply empathetic and you are carrying a heavy load of emotions, try to just do an audit on your self-care system and see what you need more of. Do you need more spiritual self-care? Do you need more physical self-care? Do you need more social self-care? It's a myriad of self-cares that are involved. It's not just one type of self-care. Yeah, and I think like being realistic as well about what you think you should be able to achieve or what you think you should be able to carry. Mm -hmm. And I've done this in my life thinking, oh, this person over here can take on all of this extra stuff. Why on earth can I not do that? And with ADHD, I think sometimes it's just dropping your expectations of yourself and not placing those expectations on yourself. And that can then actually make you, you know, really have a sigh of relief to think, oh, okay, I don't need to do all of these things just because this person over here can do it. That's past my threshold and that's okay. That doesn't mean that I'm unintelligent. It doesn't mean that I'm not capable. It just means that for me, that's when I need to switch off. That's when I need to pull away because I'm no good. I'm not able to carry all of that. Yes. And remember, comparison is the thief of joy. And there's people comparing themselves to us, to you. There's people, we may compare ourselves to others, but then there's people comparing themselves to you thinking, I wish I could do that. I wish I could be like her. I was speaking to someone yesterday about eating disorders and ADHD. And she was saying, you know what? Your body is someone's dream body. And I was like, whoa, that just blew me out the water. So remember to ask yourself, what's my goal? Am I on the way there? And if so, who cares what other people are doing? This is about me. And we don't know what someone is really feeling or doing. On the outside, they can look like they're achieving but we don't know the emotional cost that that comes at or what really is happening in their life. 
Yeah, we're only seeing what someone's wanting to show us, right? And I think why that's so difficult with people that have ADHD is because you've kind of been compared your whole life. Mm-hmm. You, you know, going through school, it was like, okay, everyone in the class out of 30 students here sitting in this class, 29 of them can do this thing. You can't. And so all you're thinking is you're comparing yourself to all of these other people. So having to switch that mindset off as an adult can be really difficult. Yeah. Uh, but it is just, and, and I think like things are changing now, especially in schools. And I would hope that because it's more recognized, you know, schools can adapt and change and those students can get the support that they need. So it won't be so much of a problem. But I think for any girls my age or, you know, even in their 20s, that's probably a massive reason as to why you continuously compare yourself because you've kind of been compared to others and how you fall short your whole life, which is really sad. So I think we're going to do a two-parter with this one because I would love to do a whole episode on the connection between eating disorders and ADHD. I think that's a really big subject and Mm -hmm. something that we can focus on specifically. But to end out this podcast episode, I would love for you to give us some tips. If someone's listening, they've got ADHD, you know, there's obviously medication, but let's, let's put that to the side for now. What can they do to help manage or that we know that science says can actually help someone that has ADHD? Yeah. So what you want to do is try to boost your dopamine, right? Because what we know is dopamine, norepinephrine, the neurotransmitters that make you motivated and driven and initiate tasks are in a sort of deficit with people with ADHD. So non-pharmaceutical ways to increase your dopamine, please know that these are adaptive or maladaptive. So some of the maladaptive ways that people increase their dopamine without realizing, uh, which we'll go into in the next episode, is eating and binge eating on carbs, right? Nothing wrong with carbs, but a lot of people with ADHD are doing this to regulate their dopamine. They also may use alcohol, drugs, Xanax, prescribed medication to boost their dopamine, engaging in impulsive activities like gambling, online shopping, workaholism, uh, sex, all of that. So they're maladaptive ways, but they do give you a dopamine boost. If you want more adaptive ways to boost your dopamine, exercise. If you are tortured by the, the concept of exercise because of an eating disorder, call this movement. I work on this with my clients. We call it joy, joyful movement. Uh, Other things are being creative. People with ADHD are so creative and don't know about having an outlet, whether it's photography, whether it's dancing, whether it's making TikToks, find ways to be creative. And then the third thing I'd suggest as well is be connected to others to achieve a higher goal. Purpose gives us meaning, which gives us happiness. So finding what am I passionate about? What is my purpose? And can you connect with like-minded individuals, just like we have, um, to make this happen? Because when we can really master our dopamine blueprint and pursue that, it can be really successful and lead to joy and happiness. But if you pursue If you pursue dopamine in a maladaptive way, that can lead to addiction, which we can go into in another episode. Yeah, which is very destructive. And I think you don't even need to have, I mean, like your phone's a massive one. 
isn't it? Like we mm-hmm. we get this dopamine hit whenever we look at our phone, whenever we're posting and get, you know, gratification or attention, likes, comments, so easy to fall into that trap. And I think that's probably across the board with anyone, ADHD or no ADHD. Um, so just being mindful of, yeah, I guess what you're relying on to feel good about yourself and is it sustainable? Yes. Is it actually leading you down a good path? And if not, you're going to need to replace that with something that's going to be much more beneficial for you. I just want to quickly touch on the diet thing because I heard as well high protein diets are quite good for ADHD because of an amino acid in protein. Ah, you haven't yes. heard of that? And this is something I really want to take a deeper dive into because there is a lot out there about diet and how diet influences it, especially with children, you know, strain from sugar or gluten and all of that. And I am aware like this isn't psychological, but I'm really interested in a holistic approach to it. But the protein one, I need to do a little bit more research on that, but I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Did diet change your symptoms or influence them at all? Oh, I think diet plays a massive role in my mood. Absolutely. Um, I think not eating enough as well was very Mm. detrimental to my attention span, but also to my own mental health. Nourishing my body has been very, very important and ensuring that I've fueling my body for my cognitive ability. I think if you're pairing (laughs) struggling to focus and having an ADHD brain with a 1200 calorie diet, mm-hmm. you know, it's a recipe for disaster really. But I choose, and I, I talk about this with my girls all the time, and I'm sure you agree, Steph, is that there is a place for all kinds of foods in our diet. There are no bad foods. No. But what you will learn is that there are foods that provide you with energy and there are foods that really help you to be the best you so that you can yes. go through life, you know, being able to achieve what you want to. And I think making sure you're making decisions with your nutrition that serve you and support you are really important. And yeah. that's going to look different to to everybody, but um, diet exercise is a must for me. I need to exercise and a big part of why I exercise is actually my ability to then uh, run a business successfully. Yeah. Yeah. And I need to, I just need to be able to do that. So, um, and that's the beautiful thing, right? About health is that exercise food should not just be about weight loss. It shouldn't be just about changing our body, but all the other incredible benefits that we get from it. There's so many, so many benefits. So it really is about finding what works for you, trying different things. I think a lot of people are going to listen to this episode and be like, oh my gosh, that's been me. I've been coping. So If you are listening to this, it's great for you to start by just developing your awareness around your habits, around what works, around your coping, and make slow, steady changes over time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for coming on, Steph. I really appreciate it. We're definitely going to do a round two, and we will touch on, uh, we'll really focus more so on the mental health side of things, as well as eating disorders, which I think is a very interesting conversation to have. But thanks again for coming on. Thank you so much. I'll see you soon and have a great day, everyone. How good was that podcast episode? Steph's amazing. I cannot wait. I'm thinking like we're going to do a second podcast episode on the correlation between ADHD and eating disorders. But I 
almost feel like there is just so much to unpack with ADHD. But then also I really want to get her on to chat more about other mental health conditions like depression and anxiety and how they affect women and actually how they affect our relationship with food as well. Could you please, please make sure you send me a DM, send Steph a DM, comment on the YouTube video. Let us know the subjects you want us to cover, thinking about her expertise, my expertise, more than happy to answer them for you. Ultimately, this is for you guys. So we want to know what you want to hear about and we will 100% bring that to you. But to round off this podcast episode, I'm going to answer a question that was sent through for the podcast episode. Remember, guys, in the show notes, you will have a link there. You can submit a question for me to answer. So the question is from Instagram handle emotional plat. Puss96. <laughs> that is a great handle name. So she's asked, can I achieve my fitness goals without paying for a PT? So it really depends. When we want to achieve anything, we need to learn how to achieve that, right? So if you don't have any idea on, you know, how to work out, how to do proper form with certain exercises, and you're going to need to invest in yourself. However, keep in mind, there are just so many resources now uh, online, YouTube that can really help you. I think you can definitely get going, but achieving your end goal, I think is going to take you stepping things up and really investing in yourself if you're really serious about achieving um, the goal that you're wanting to achieve. That's a really good question. All right, guys, that's it for me. Remember, please leave a review, a rating of this podcast. Send me the screenshot, put it onto your stories, and you will go into the running to win a Gym Shark voucher. So good. The support you guys have already given me uh, is honestly just so overwhelming, and I just appreciate it so much. But um, let's keep the ball rolling. And until next time, guys, big love, Coach Tash. Coach Tash.